Welcome to Bruin Success, where we talk to UCLA alumni and explore the many paths to success beyond UCLA. I'm your host, Katie Russo, and today I'm excited to be joined by Vito Costanzo, partner in the litigation section of the Los Angeles office of the law firm Holland and Knight. Mr. Costanzo has been with Holland and Knight for 30 years and was formerly employed as a trial attorney by the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office. In addition, he serves on the UCLA Alumni Association Board of Directors. Vito graduated from UCLA in 1984 with a degree in economics and earned his JD from Loyola Law School after that. Vito, welcome to Bruin Success. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us today. Thank you for having me, Katie. I look forward to it. So to start us off, in movies and media, lawyers are generally depicted as working on criminal cases, while in reality, there's many different types of law to practice. Can you describe in layman's terms what types of cases you generally work on? Sure. I I usually work on cases that involve technology companies, and uh, most of my practice is litigation. So unlike what people see on TV involving criminal trials, uh, civil business litigation is mostly done out of court. You know, we we rarely have trials. Most cases are resolved by settlement or some other way. And most of the work I do involves, since it's for tech companies, it involves things like trademarks, uh, trade secrets, patents, you know, various technologies. I see. Okay. That makes sense. Got it. Um, I'm also curious if it has COVID-19 had a significant impact on your law practice and if so, in what ways, um, and how do you kind of see that this changing the landscape going forward? That's a very good question. Uh, it, it, it's had a huge impact. I wouldn't say that the impact is all negative. So back in March, uh, my firm, which has 1,300 lawyers uh, worldwide, went totally remote. So the firm had been planning and and studying the pandemic before the stay-at-home orders issued and started to upgrade our IT and our computers and and getting ready. And so one day in March, the firm uh, abruptly said, don't come to work today. We are now remote. And and since then, my entire law practice has been conducted from my home office. Uh, I attend court hearings by Zoom or telephone. I meet clients by Zoom or telephone. I meet my colleagues the same way. Uh, Sometimes when I'm working at home and I get up and go outside, I suddenly remember, oh, yeah, I'm in the suburbs. You know, I think I'm in a whole different world. So there's been a huge impact on the way that we're practicing law. But I think what my firm and a lot of firms have found out is that we are still functioning very well, that uh, we're still busy. Um, There is a greater need in certain areas of the law. Now, you know, there's all kinds of new uh, needs. You know, one big area is we're representing a lot of universities that are being sued in class actions for tuition funds. That's an example. Yeah. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I, that was my guess as to kind of what you shed light on. Um, but like you said, it's interesting to think not all negative. And I think, you know, there's more flexibility there with the amount of people you're able to, or amount of work you're even able to do by not traveling to meetings or things like that. So finding the silver linings in, in all of it. 
And, and a lot of my practice involves clients in other cities and other states. Okay. So that part of it has not changed substantially. You know, it, it, uh, I do, obviously I'm not traveling, so I'm not seeing clients, which is always good seeing them in person. Uh, but a lot of it, it involving remote clients hasn't changed a whole lot. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so my next question is, did you always know that you wanted to be a lawyer? Um, that's the first part. And then the second part of this question is, how do you feel that your background at UCLA prepared you for your graduate work at Loyola and your future as a litigator? Those are, those are good questions. Uh, so I, yes, I decided I've always wanted to be a lawyer. I decided when I was about eight years old. Oh, wow. Because my father was a lawyer. And I didn't really know what lawyers did. Uh, I thought my father was a smart guy. And so it must be a good profession. Right. And I just never changed my mind. I always, you know, all the way through high school, college, that was my objective. Um, and so when I started at UCLA, I didn't know what I wanted to major in. Uh, and so I looked at the the course descriptions and I looked for majors that were good preparation for being a lawyer. And there were a lot of majors that helped you prepare for various reasons. You know, an English major prepares you for reading and writing. You know, um, certain majors prepare you for public speaking. Economics, I read, prepares you to be a lawyer because it's analytical, it's problem solving. You know, so I chose economics for that reason. And it, it, my experience at UCLA prepared me, I think, very well for law school because of the problem solving aspect of, of my major. And because UCLA exposed me to a lot of different uh, subjects, a lot of different people, people from all over the world. Uh, different viewpoints from all over the world, um, different subject matter that gave me kind of a broad-based education that is really helpful for a lawyer to understand a little bit about how the world works, to understand how people operate, how people function. You know, the psychology of different people comes into play a lot uh, for a lawyer. So I felt very well prepared when I started law school. That's great. That's great to hear. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, as you said, too, I think, um, I've seen that change, too, in just the variety of academic backgrounds that students have now that go into law school, like, you know, you hear more philosophy majors and things like that. I feel like it's not, you know, trying to make sure students know it's not like you have to major in political science to become a lawyer. So, right. you know, right, there, there's, it, I think it's really helpful to major in things that that not only interest you, but that will will help you analytically or will help you understand people. Psychology could be good. You know, yeah. a lot of being a lawyer is really, you know, you're a combination counselor, psychiatrist and, and priest. Right. Your client. <laughs> right. <laughs> All in one service. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Um, so for some of our students or even young alumni that might be thinking about going into law or perhaps maybe they're in law school now, how did you go about selecting the type that you wanted to practice? I kind of fell into it. So when I was in law school, I took a trial advocacy class with a federal court judge 
And we would go to his courtroom at the district court downtown once a week, and we would do mock trials. And I thought it was a lot of fun. And, and so that was my, I believe that was my second year in law school. And so I decided I wanted to do trials. And so I interviewed uh, with the district attorney uh, during my third year, and I got the job. And so I, I did trials for two years. That's, that's all I did. I didn't write any papers. I didn't, you know, I didn't do a lot of research. I was in court every day. Wow. Uh, and, and, you know, it was a great experience. And at the, at the end, I decided, well, I, I knew I didn't want to do criminal law for a career. So I decided I wanted to go to a law firm. And when I talked to recruiters, they said, well, you're a litigator. And I thought, well, okay, I guess. I mean, although it's litigation is a lot different from trial work. I mean, you do litigation, obviously you end up in a trial, but uh, you know, the, the, um, uh, like I said earlier, most of my cases don't ever get to trial. Right. So that's how I got into litigation. I, you know, the recruiters told me I was a litigator. <laughs> and then um, I got into representing technology companies because primarily because of my wife. My wife's an engineer oh, okay. and I met her at UCLA. Uh, she's an electrical engineer and I became interested in what she does. And you know, started reading about engineering and technology and understanding it more. And I, I got more and more interested in it and started working in that area. I see. Oh, that's, that's really neat. What, um, I'm curious to what advice for maybe those that are kind of still deciding, you know, what type of law they want to practice, what advice would you have for, um, you know, maybe going through that decision-making process or how to get some experience to see what fits, what fits you best? So it depends, I think, at what stage the, the student is in. So if it's a student in undergrad, I would say, don't even worry about it. Just Focus on your your undergrad studies and just get the most out of that. Mm -hmm. If it's someone in law school, I'd say even then, you may not necessarily have to to decide for a, a little while. Got you it. can, you know, in law school, you can get a summer associate uh, job after second year, and that will expose you to what law firms do, and you can learn a little bit about each practice area, and that will help. Um, and then even after an a summer associate graduates and gets a job, law firms will often uh, put them in a, in a certain slot, but then they move around a lot as they get their feet wet and learn a little. I know that even though my father was a lawyer, he had a small practice and I was never exposed to the, the multiple practice areas that, that law firms have. It was only when I got to a big law firm that I saw areas of law that I never heard of. That you know things like you know admiralty and and customs enforcement and just many many different areas that are so esoteric and and I think that the best way is to just try to get into a law firm that has a variation and and learn about each one. Yeah, that's that's great advice. I was going to say it sounds like getting once you get in the door there being able to explore all the different areas and kind of figure out mm -hmm. what interests you most what is you know and yeah what what are the things that you can learn more from even you know new areas and things like that yeah and some people some people have an interest already 
or an expertise already. So for example, if you're a musician, you know, and you want to be a lawyer, you can, you know, if you're interested in music, you can be a music lawyer. If you're an engineer and you want to be a lawyer, you can be a patent lawyer. You know, there's, there's a lot of things that people do that are interested in that can relate to, to the law. You know, I know somebody who, who really liked animals and they got into, you know, animal rights. Oh, wow. Yep. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. I was going to say when you were saying that just now, I was thinking I have a good friend who got a degree in engineering and is now a patent lawyer. So just like you right. just said, yeah. Yeah. Um, what's the most challenging case that you've worked on? So the, the most the challenging cases, I'll, I'll give you a type of case that, that is challenging. It, it's not necessarily the subject matter that is challenging, you know, although, you know, there are a lot of different challenging subject matter. For an example of that would be I had a trade secret case involving a chemical formulation where the, the, the accusation was that our client left one company and took the formula with him to another company. And so I had to understand the formula and, and the other competing formulas and see how they were similar. And I hired a chemist, an expert witness who, with a PhD in chemistry who helped me understand it. That, so that was challenging substantively to understand the chemistry, but that's not really the most difficult type of case. The most difficult type of case involves personalities. It's when the, the client may not, um, may be difficult to deal with. The opposing lawyers may be difficult to deal with. They may be, you know, dishonest or, 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 or antag unduly antagonistic. Uh, it's those types of things that make a case extremely difficult. You know, litigation is obviously a battle. It's obviously a contest, but it, the, the best way to litigate is to be, is to do it in a very controlled way and be aggressive in a, in a good way, you know, to make your best arguments, to be professional. But sometimes people don't understand that. And they think that the best way to litigate is like a schoolyard fight, you know, and they, and they want to, they want to slug it out, which is often a bad way to do it. So those cases can be difficult, you know, dealing with opposing lawyers or sometimes with a client who thinks that's the way they want to do it or dealing with a client that has requests of their lawyers that are not, you know, that are, that are not the most ethical things to do. You know, then you have to persuade them that that's not the best way to approach it. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm sure, I'm sure you have many stories about the different layers of, you know, like you said, all kinds of personalities that you've had on cases and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, that's really the, the key. I think to being a litigator is to understand people and to relate to people. Yep. That's great advice. So what motivated you to join the alumni association board of directors? And can you share a little bit about your goals as a member of this board? And then kind of the second part to that question is, are there any initiatives that you'd like to see pushed forward perhaps in the next five years at UCLA? Sure. So what motivated me to get involved is I had been involved with UCLA for a long time. Uh, I was I was involved with the Volunteer Center, um, Government and Community Relations. 
the parents council, our son went, went there, um, local networks and, and, and the chancellor society. And, and so I frankly was not that familiar with the alumni association board of directors. And I was asked by, by Susie Howell, who works for the alumni association to look into it. She said, I think you should check this out. And, and I did, and I decided to, to apply to the board because I, I want to help UCLA in any way I can. And I think that it is, it, it's, it's a, an institution that values, you know, volunteer, volunteerism in both alumni and students and, you know, it puts people, people's um, abilities to good use. I feel like it is a very worthwhile thing to contribute to the university's mission to to educate young people and and I like to be involved in that. I I think it's a very productive effort. I enjoy working with the people that are on the board as well as on staff as well as the students. It's it's always a very good experience and I feel like I'm having an impact. Uh and so my goal on the board is really simple to to assist the university in whatever its mission is and and on a on a on a small basis you know as far as my involvement that can change so for example i am the uh chair of the board's advocacy task force and the the mission of the task force has changed since the the pandemic started where now it's more important that we advocate for funding, you know, from, from the legislature or for grants coming to the university to, to get the word out as what UCLA is doing to assist with the pandemic response and to make up for, you know, the, the, the shortfalls that have happened with the loss of certain areas of income. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that is has become my 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 goal for the short term and maybe for a, for a long time now. Right. <laughs> I was going to say I'm sure yeah that's that task force is more important than ever right now. Yeah. And and then the the overall goal is to just to to have engaged alumni. And I think that any universities Success is in a great part dependent on how engaged its alumni are, its community. Yeah, I completely agree. And to your point, I I would echo your sentiment about I've I've worked at UCLA for almost three years now. And even in my short-ish time here, I think that what you express, that volunteerism and that service and that desire to give back um, is is something I haven't seen before. I mean, you know, all I think all universities have it in some form or fashion, but um, what I've seen at UCLA, it's most certainly stands out that I, I mean, I've seen students graduate, you know, from maybe 2019 and already in the fall, they're like, oh, can I help, you know, with your program, you know, for the next round of students? And it's just really inspiring. And I think um, is a testament to what's taught and what's shared and, and demonstrated at UCLA, that there is that expectation that you will go out and, you know, hopefully make positive change and you'll also support those coming up behind you. So. Right. Right. Yeah. I think our, our students, you know, are accustomed to working hard. They're, they're self-made. 
you know, they, they don't get into UCLA because of some legacy. Right. They get in on their own merit. They're accustomed to working for things. And when they get out, they want to keep doing that. They want to keep working, you know, for the, for the greater good. Yeah, so true. So my final question, which is the question we always wrap our interviews with, is since leaving UCLA, how has your career and life experiences shaped how you now define success? That's that's a good question. <laughs> the million dollar question. Yeah. Some people define success in monetary terms. You know, some people define it as in terms of how much how much control or power they have. You know, what is their 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 title? What is their status? Um but, you know, the way the way you can make different amounts of money in different fields, you know, certain fields give you more ability to, to, you know, be financially successful, right? You can be, you know, work at a, at a soup kitchen, or you can work at a venture capital front fund. Um, and there's huge differences. And so I think, and what I, what I tell my, my sons is do what, what you like, do what makes you happy. Success should be defined as professional fulfillment. You know, if 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 you're doing something that interests you, then really you have no choice. You have to do that. You know, when my son was at UCLA, he all, he also studied electrical engineering, and the first you know year, it was it was difficult. You know, and he told me it was difficult, and I said, well. You're right. You're no longer the top student. Right, right. You know, you're it's a competitive environment, but you have no choice. You have to do this because this is what you were you were made to do. And he now succeeded as far as he graduated and he's now an engineer. And so I think if you, you have to do what what interests you, what fulfills you professionally and if you do that, you're a success you know, whatever you end up doing with that, you'll be happy and you'll be better able to contribute to the community. You know, I mean, if, 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 if you have the wrong definition of success, say that your definition is to, you know, become a multimillionaire by age 30, you can accomplish that. But if you're not contributing to the community, then I don't think you're, you're successful. You, there's a way to, to be, professionally successful and also to to use your abilities to to be well-rounded to go to volunteer to you know to to do something for the community because i think that is really what makes a well-rounded successful person is is the full the full person the complete person not you know not just good in in their profession, but good in the community and good with their family. That's, that's the real definition, I think. Yeah, no, I, I, I love so many aspects of that. I really like the professional fulfillment. And even how you said, if you are doing what you like, or you find what you like, or really enjoy, it's almost like you said, you almost have no choice, right? You want to lean into that thing that you are passionate about, because it'll be much easier to invest the, that time and energy or the longer days, even the stress will be worth it because at the end of the day, you're 
enjoying what you're doing. You like the impact you're making in some you know way professionally, but also like you said, looking at how are you able to make an impact outside of just your you know eight to five every day you know work and things like that. So really love that definition. Yeah, and and your your personal life is also part of it. I mean, your your relationship with your family, you know, and being a good you know brother, sister, wife, husband, you know, whatever it is, is is part of of that my definition of success. Well, that wraps up our conversation today. So. Thank you so much, Vito, for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us on Bruin Success. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I think many of our listeners will appreciate hearing about your journey since leaving UCLA, and will also um, take to heart a lot of the pieces of wisdom that you shared throughout our conversation. And lastly, I just want to thank you for all you do for UCLA as a member of our Alumni Association Board. We are so grateful to have alumni leaders like you who really are creating change for the next generation of Bruins and moving the needle forward um, for all of us. So thank you so much for all you do on behalf of UCLA. You've been listening to Bruin Success. Our guest this week was Vito Costanzo of Holland and Knight. You can find more information on Vito in the description of the episode. Follow Alumni Career Engagement on Instagram and Facebook to keep up with Bruin success. If you enjoyed our podcast, subscribe to it, tell a friend, or share your appreciation on social media. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time we're back with Kathy Choi of the Eisner Foundation. This podcast was made possible by UCLA alumni.